Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, August 16th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Serretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer and Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? So Free Guy came out this weekend only in theaters I didn't go, didn't see it. Uh, seems like a lot of people <laughs> didn't see it. Ben, tell us about it. Yes. So Free Guy actually pulled in, let's see, what are the numbers here? $28.4 million domestically and uh, $22.5 million overseas. So we're talking a, a grand total of $51 million in its opening weekend. Um, you know, f- it's so weird to talk about this stuff, Peter, because like, there's a giant, you know, uh, uh, whatever you want to call it, a global pandemic-sized asterisk, asterisk hanging over this entire conversation. So it's tough to really compare this stuff. The one uh, comparison that I did find really interesting is that uh, The Suicide Squad, which, you know, is a massive superhero movie that had a very, very big budget, a huge A-list cast with a ton of people in it, and, uh, you know, a... Um, I would say that James Gunn is probably a, a buzzier director than Sean Levy, who directed uh, Free Guy. 100%. Suicide Squad 
What's that? 100%. Yeah, yeah. So Suicide Squad made $26.5 million domestically, and Free Guy made 28.4. So this sort of like completely original movie with Ryan Reynolds at the center of it ended up making more money in theaters than uh, Suicide Squad. And of course, there's another caveat there, which is the Suicide Squad was available, you know, for HBO uh, Max subscribers to for free just to watch the movie, you know, at home there. Uh, and that was not the case with Free Guy. But um, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I have no idea what sort of uh, pearls of wisdom we can glean from all of this <laughs> with all of these asterisks and caveats hanging over the conversation. But there you have it. It's so weird because there's even the asterisks, asterisks, asterisks of like, you know, a month ago when films were coming out and more people were seeing them, which was technically still during this global pandemic, but it was at a time when people felt more comfortable going out. Mm -hmm. I don't know how we're going to look back at this time in (laughs) movie box office. I mean, I guess it really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but uh, Brad, you did see this movie. Indeed, I did. I went out to theaters because I did a private screening with some friends over the weekend, so decided to uh, try it out and was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed it. I I thought it it was going to be pretty good, but uh, I think that it's, um, you know, a solid way of bringing together, like, uh, Ready Player One, the Lego movie, and uh, Last Action Hero with, with, uh, you know, a a fun package starring Ryan Reynolds. Tell me this, though. It does seem like a weird movie to, like have the stance of only in theaters like free guys seems like the movie i could watch on the tv compared to you know godzilla versus kong or something Uh, i mean it's still definitely a very big screen experience kind of movie there's a lot of big action set pieces and so it's 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 a blockbuster you know that you want to see on the on the big screen and if anything i feel like disney maybe is experimenting and seeing how an exclusive theatrical release is doing during this uh, environment, since they've already seen how other big blockbusters that they had in their pocket performed with a hybrid day and date release for with Disney uh, Premier Access on Disney Plus and being in theaters at the same time. So if anything, I bet they wanted to see how this was going to work out for them as the Delta variant, you know, is kind of still wreaking havoc and keeping people away from theaters. Yeah, and maybe also Chapek doesn't want to sh- um, doesn't want a Johansson, uh, Ryan Reynolds. So um, true. Yeah, uh, we do have a, a free guy spoiler review on the site. I will link that in the show notes if you want to check that out. Um, but you also wrote up um, that they, even with this box office, which seems to me to be very lackluster, even in you know the asterisk global pandemic, that they're already talking about a sequel? Yeah, apparently Disney has already expressed interest based on the box office that depending on who you talk to was either still disappointing or pretty good because of the pandemic. Um, and he, he made a little bit of a, a snarky post on Twitter over the weekend saying, uh, after three years messaging free guy as an original IP movie, Disney confirmed today, they officially want a sequel. Woohoo. Hashtag irony. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because free guy is this movie that's not based on any actual intellectual property, even though it is inspired by video game culture, it's not based on an actual video game. And now they're going to turn it into another one of Disney's franchises because it seems like it was uh, successful enough to warrant uh, such a follow-up. So there, there we go. It's obviously there's a lot of work that probably still needs to be done. Uh, you know, director Sean Levy himself said that they had thought about ideas, but they didn't want to get ahead of themselves and uh, set anything up in this movie because unlike some franchise starters, there's actually no 
direct tease or dangling threads that are being left for a potential sequel. They had an open and shut story. And so now they have to figure out what they want to do next. It has to be written and it has to be greenlit by Disney. So we'll, we'll see how, how long it takes them to, to get this one off the ground. I, I hate to propose this question to you, Brad, because obviously a lot of people have not seen Free Guy. We don't want to spoil Free Guy in any way. But you do bring up, you know, that they're, they want a sequel. Is this a movie that – is there room for a sequel with this movie without spoiling anything? I mean, there's as much room for a sequel in this movie as there is for a similar movie from Disney called Wreck-It Ralph, uh, a movie that seemed to, you know – in the same way that this movie does uh, have a beginning, middle and end without leaving any dangling threads for a sequel. And so they still figured out how to do a sequel for that movie, albeit one that wasn't necessarily uh, as impressive and ended up uh, digging into the uh, cavalcade of Marvel, um, Marvel and star Wars uh, IP and other video game characters that Disney was able to get their hands on. But I mean, it's there, there are a lot of possibilities just because of how this open world video game works. And there's plenty of outside forces that could create a new story that would affect that world and Ryan Reynolds' character place in it. So I think that it's, uh, it's possible and without getting specific, yeah, there's, there's some routes that could easily be taken. Okay. All that said, do you want a sequel? Do you want a free guys too? Um, I would say that I'm vaguely interested in seeing what they could do, but if it doesn't happen, I'm not going to be disappointed because Free Guy works on its own. It's very entertaining, very satisfying, and I'd hate to have a movie that, you know, just tries to tread the same territory and, you know, play in the world again just because Disney wants to see if it can have another successful franchise. You know, I'd, uh, I think it's good that they didn't try to set up a sequel, so they weren't beholden to that. Uh, and if they can come up with a good idea, good on them, and I'll check it out. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Also, what do you call it? Free guy again? Free guy. Free your guy. Free your guy. Free guys <laughs> with a dollar sign at the end. <laughs> Two <Yeah>. free guys. <laughs> yeah. We mentioned the Suicide Squad a little bit earlier, and we've talked about that at length on this podcast. Uh, now that the movie is out and James Gunn is talking spoilers, he has revealed that the movie almost had a very different villain. Ben, tell us about it. Yeah, so James Gunn was a guest on the Script Apart podcast, which uh, talks to writers about the early drafts of their screenplays and how the the drafts evolved, you know, over the course of production and and uh, development until you know they they reached their final forms. And on this podcast, James Gunn said there was a time when I thought the Suicide Squad should fight Superman. I thought that was a very interesting story. Then I came up with Starro. Um, so he goes into why he thought that uh, that Starro was a little bit of a, a better fit. Um, but basically he said at the time there were a lot of questions like who is Superman in the DCEU? Is this movie outside the DCEU? And I just didn't want to deal with it all that much. I just wanted to tell a good story. Um, so that makes perfect sense to me as like, you know, somebody who's just trying to make their movie to be bogged down with all of these logistical questions about like, okay, if we want Superman in this movie, does it have to be Henry Cavill? Do we have to work out a deal with his people? Can we cast a whole new Superman just to appear in this movie? Like, it just sounds like a massive headache. And um, the idea of Starro actually works so well in the Suicide Squad anyway, because it's this sort of stand-in for, you know, American imperialism and like the idea of uh, of our country doing all this shady shit overseas and, and sort of setting up these... Um, these dictatorships and things and, and doing it all sort of under the table and uh, you know, without getting too much into spoilers for suicide squad. Um, I, I just think that the, the Starro subplot uh, 
works on a thematic level that if Superman was the the villain, the antagonist, I guess, because you know the, the main characters in the Suicide Squad are technically villains. Um, I just don't. I'm not sure that the movie would have the same bite that it does. Yeah, and hasn't James Gunn already produced a movie with a evil Superman? Oh right, yeah. Uh, what, what is that Bright called? Brightburn. Um, yes, Brightburn. Uh, yeah. So yeah. That so would've... maybe Superman would have been good in this movie. I mean, maybe he wouldn't have been evil. Um, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's like an interesting idea. Like uh, you know, a, a fork in the road kind of decision. Um, and it, it sounds like. This was early on when he was coming up with the idea for the scripts. It's not like something that was pulled at the last minute or anything, but um, yeah, I'd st- I would still like to see them eventually make a big screen adaptation of red sun, which is the, the, the graphic novel or comic book series that imagined what if uh, Superman had landed in Russia instead of America mm. and how that and Lex Luthor ends up being the good guy. I don't know. It, it's a really cool I mean, I guess it's kind of like, a, you know, Marvel's what if, but uh, it, w- it was a really well done graphic novel. And uh, maybe someday we'll be in the area where we can do that on the big screen. It's cool that Disney's doing it on the small screen. Um, but speaking of Disney and Marvel, uh, they're kind of getting themselves in a little bit of trouble here revolving around the release of Shang-Chi. Uh, ben, tell us about it. Yeah, so there was a recent, um, I think it was an investor call or something for for Disney, and Bob Chapek, the current CEO of the company, um, was asked basically like why Shang Chi was coming directly to theaters instead of doing the Black Widow thing, which was going to theaters and then also being available on uh, Disney Plus for the what was it called? Uh, Disney uh, Premier Access, Premier Access tier, right? Yeah. Um, so he said on Shang Chi, we think it's going to be an interesting experiment. The prospect of taking a Marvel title to Disney Plus after just 45 days would be an interesting data point. And I think a lot of people are focusing on his first part of that sentence or that that sentiment, which is the interesting experiment thing. Um, and Peter, you and I actually talked about this the last time that we talked on on this podcast about how Disney has, uh, you know, in this in this short period, relative comparatively short period of this pandemic, they've already have. Um, you know, a little bit of a troublesome track record in terms of shunting these projects off onto Disney Plus that are uh, led by, you know, characters of color, people of color involved, you know, heavily with with people of color. Um, and it just sort of seems like kind of a, a bad look. So the idea that that Bob Chapek is saying, oh, Shang-Chi, we think it's going to be an interesting experiment. I think a lot of people uh, took that the wrong way and like, you know, we're rubbed the wrong way by that rather. Um, so th- to be fair though, I think, don't think he's talking about the, the race or like it, it, it's, it's more about the release strategy, right? I mean, I think that's, that's probably what he's getting at. It's just, uh, it wasn't well said. Yeah, it wasn't well said. And, and Simu Liu, who, who is starring in the, the Shang-Chi movie, uh, sort of fired back on Twitter and said, we are not an experiment. We're the underdog, the underestimated. We're the ceiling breakers. We're the celebration of culture and joy that will uh, persevere after an embattled year. We are the surprise. I'm fired the fuck up to make history on September 3rd. Join us. He tweeted this thing with a bunch of pictures of him and his castmates on the on the set of the movie. Um, and, you know, I think it was Jeremy uh, Mathai, who, who, one of our new writers who wrote this article, and where he, he sort of points out like, 
he understands, you know, the sentiment of what's going on here, but he also wants to gently push back on the idea that Shang-Chi, which is, you know, a $200 million plus movie is, a, <laughs> is an underdog in any sense of the word, which, uh, I fully agree with. I mean, the, um, I don't know. The... <laughs> I mean, it, it, I, I know what you're saying and I know what he's saying, but you know, what Black Panther was able to do for Marvel, I, I think even though that was a big thing, do you know what I mean? That was a big budget thing. Yeah. And- oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and I'm certainly not trying to take anything away from like the, uh, you know, the, the cultural stamp that Black Panther had and the, the stamp that uh, Shang-Chi has the potential to have. But it just seems like framing, um, you know, it's a Marvel movie. Like, of course, it's going to make money. Like, if you look at, uh, if you <laughs> if you stack a Marvel movie up against any other thing that Hollywood is making right now, whatever the other thing is, it is automatically the underdog <laughs> by default, right? Um, I think that's that's all that Jeremy and I were yeah. saying there. But um, but yeah, I mean, you know, this there's all sorts of um, of undercurrents and things here too. Like, you know, I, I feel like the people who I don't want to I don't want to speak for I don't want to broadly generalize here because I haven't even had like a yeah. conversation with this about uh, or with anyone about this, but some of the sentiment that I've been seeing is like, you know, the Asian American community has been under fire in a very real and like physically dangerous way over the past year plus. So, um, you know, the idea of, uh, of referring to this as an experiment, it's just like you said, just sort of poorly chosen uh, words there. Yeah. I, I really do feel bad for the filmmakers and the cast of this movie because like I, I do f- despite what you're saying and yes this is a marvel movie yes it was made for hundreds of millions of dollars i do feel like this had the chance of being like marvel's uh you know uh rich agent rich rich asians or you know being something that like breaks that ceiling in in that way if that makes if i'm expressing myself correctly Yeah, yeah um and i really think this pandemic has put this in a bad spot where what is what is successful do you know what i mean what yeah what is going to be that thing that like you know you that post on uh what was it twitter or instagram like what is going to be the the what is the number that's going to be worthy of that cry right right and i feel like they're set up for failure and i i feel really bad not yeah, not failure one- but like like what did black widow do it wasn't and that was an established character did I mean? Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah there, I mean, yes, there are a ton of, of factors <laughs> to consider here. And like, you know, yeah, I, th- I think you, you raise a good point. And th- it's just, it's such a tough situation because the this is one of those instances where the Marvel Cinematic Universe is actually harmed by its interconnectivity because everything is so planned out and, um, you know, worked in and, and sort of connected, right? That you can't just kick this movie down the road and wait until things get better. Like all these other things, these other dominoes are relying on what happens in this movie. Like this is slotted into this position for a reason. Um, And you just can't, there's so much at stake for, for Disney and Marvel in terms of this grand story that they're telling that that they can't afford. I was going to say that said the trailers for this don't make it out. Like it's connected in very much any way other than a couple jokes or something like that. I, I know you wrote up a piece for the site. Uh, they kind of revealed where this takes place in the MCU timeline and some of the inspiration that was the, some of the, 
very strange inspiration for this film. Uh, can you talk, tell us about that? Yeah, so Shang-Chi is set in the present day in the MCU timeline. So I, I think there may have been a little bit of confusion about Black Widow considering what happens to Natasha in Avengers Endgame. And that movie doesn't really, I mean, I think it said the date for like during that prologue where um, Black Widow and or where Natasha and Yelena are kids. Um, but other than that, it didn't really go out of its way to provide a ton of uh, overt context for when the main action of that movie was taking place. Um, and so I, I'm wondering if if there's any thought given there to to how this uh, this story plays out or when this exact story plays out. But anyway, present day MCU timeline. So I think that means uh, after WandaVision, after Spider-Man Far From Home, which was set a few months after Endgame, after Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which was also set several months after Endgame, because it's after the blip. Um, and so present day, I'm pretty sure means the year 2023 because of that five-year gap that happened in Avengers Endgame. So the MCU yeah. was like falling behind real time where, you know, for, for a while there. And then that five-year gap helped them sort of leapfrog back into the future a little bit. Um, and then in terms of the, the influences, I mean, there, there are a ton of, uh, this is like essentially a martial arts movie and there are a ton of martial arts films. Uh, Destin Daniel Cretton, the director of the film said, uh, every Jackie Chan movie ever made, the Ip Man series, there's a big inspiration from Jet Li's Tai Chi Master and, of course, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh, he also gives a shout out to Kung Fu Hustle, which he says is one of his favorites. But the the sort of surprising um, uh, touchstone for this movie is Goodwill Hunting, um, which I never would have come up with in a million years. But he said Will Hunting is a character that I think has a lot of similarities to Shang-Chi, just in that they have a big secret and they have a lot of baggage that they have to learn to deal with in order to step into their fully realized shoes. Mm. So, uh, yeah, like I said, that, that's a, definitely a surprise. Um, but uh, I'm, I look forward to seeing you know how overt that uh, that <laughs> reference actually is in this movie. Yeah, I'm very curious to see if it if it's anything other than like you know a character arc parallel to mm -hmm. you know actually seeing the inspiration when when you're watching the movie. Um, one other thing I want to talk about talk about is earlier we we were talking about you know them making a free guy two possibly. And I know that they've been talking about a Cruella sequel and Emma Stone has apparently signed on to return. Brad, tell us about that. Yeah, we'd heard after Cruella came out that Disney uh, pretty quickly came around to the idea of doing a Cruella sequel. Uh, all the original you know, team members are in place. However, there was recently some uh, worries in the wake of Scarlett Johansson's lawsuit against Disney um, about box office revenue and what was stipulated in her contract as far as uh, sharing profits when the movie was released partially on Disney Plus's premiere access alongside a theatrical release, creating a bit of a disconnect in what Scarlett Johansson believed she would make uh, for her payday as opposed to what she actually is going to make. Um, but it sounds like that wasn't a worry uh, for Emma Stone since they decided to actually include provisions in the contract for Cruella 2 that would make sure both Emma Stone and Disney walked away uh, happy with their share of the revenues for whatever the sequel will end up making at the box office. So uh, a deal's been closed for Emma Stone to return as Cruella DeVille, and we'll get to see what the next phase of this uh, sort of reimagined version of the Disney villain will entail. Yeah. I don't even know what a sequel to that movie is. Because it kind of leads into 101 Dalmatians, and you're not going to do that. 
Yeah, and it and it also does it in like a different way too, because rather than having um, Roger and Anita meet by chance, um, it's obviously something that has seems to have been coordinated by Cruella, and she gifts uh, both of them at, each having a, a place in uh, her origin uh, in this movie. Uh, Dalmatian puppies, and those puppies are Pongo and Perdita, who we know will meet and eventually have puppies of their own, and also kind of be the adoptive dog parents to the Dalmatians that Cruella is supposed to steal. But since Cruella isn't really a dog killing maniac, at least not yet, <laughs> um, it's you know it remains to be seen exactly how they would even approach doing 101 Dalmatians again in this story, or if this is just another like lead up to eventually doing that it's yeah it's very strange maybe it's like the maleficent take where you're seeing it from her point of view and it's just like <laughs> everything has been completely misread they think she's a dog killer i don't know i don't know how you do it i really don't i actually liked cruella quite a bit i know ben you didn't like cruella oh i despised it peter <laughs> <laughs> so you have you have no hopes for the sequel um, well, I'm, I'm not like, uh, instantly interested in it, but I do think that it, they have the potential if they wanted to, you know, like Brad said, there's, there's been such a change to the, the core of the character already that I think if they, for the sequel just said, Hey, we're making Cruella two. It's basically 101 Dalmatians. Like it's caught up to that point on the timeline, but it's a whole different story that also features Pongo and Perdita and their puppies that I might be interested in, like something that's just completely different. Cause the one thing that I did appreciate about Cruella was that it didn't have to be, you know, this sort of slavish shot for shot recreation of what we've seen before that those are my least favorite Disney projects, the, the live action remakes, because yeah. I just feel like they're just so creatively empty so uh i cannot like something like cruella but at least it's a swing you know and, and i hope that yeah. uh for for a sequel they at least try to take a swing again you know another, another thing you didn't like about cruella was that soundtrack which was like jam-packed with all yeah. these like punk songs and uh if they do the sequel brad what do you think like will they progress to like 90s alternative or like, what, what how what is the soundtrack for cruella 2 well, I mean, the the soundtrack it was reminiscent of the time in which the story takes place. Um, yeah. even, if, even if some songs were just slightly outside of the de the time in which the movie takes place. Um, so I, if anything, I would imagine it would progress into the 70s probably. But it also depends on yeah. exactly how much time passes between the first movie and the second movie. Totally. Okay. That brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at slashfilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we will see you tomorrow.